Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And I'm Tim Grady here with my co-host Lou Wise on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We appreciate you listening to this episode. We are going to be talking about new-collar jobs, a fascinating subject. Before we get to our guest and get into that subject, Lou, how things by you? Things are great, and I'm not talking about weather. It's cold as hell <laughs> here today. It's amazing. So let's get let's get right into it. Sarah, welcome aboard. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Well, thank you for having me. Sarah, by the way, for our listeners, is uh, Sarah Boisvert, who is with Fab Lab Hub. She is the founder of that organization. She has more than 30 years of experience in design, development, and commercialization of high-technology products, including laser manufacturing and 3D printing. So, Sarah, why don't you give us a little background on Fab Lab Hub, which is a curious and creative name, and then we can talk about the new-collar workforce. Sure. So I um, helped found the um, uh, commercial division of a company called Potomac Photonics, which has been on your show before. And um, when I sold Potomac in 1999, I was labless, and MIT's (laughs) Center for Bits and Atoms took me in. And I uh, had the great fortune to work with Dr. Neil Gershenfeld and with Sherry Lassiter on this project that they call Fab Labs, which are digital fabrication laboratories, so hence the name. And Fab Fab Labs are a place where anybody can make almost anything. We have uh, specific tools, uh, categories in our 1,200 labs around the world, of which about 200 are in the U.S. And they're all different. Each of them has their own mission. And my fab labs are in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, I got tired of the traffic in in Cambridge and and the hecticness and, and went out to Santa Fe. And my labs are focused on workforce training. So let let me ask you a question. Go ahead, Luke. So I was going to ask about, to get right into it, I was going to ask about what New Collar Workforce is, which is the name of your book, and it's available, I'm sure, at Amazon. So tell us about what New Collar Workforce. I mean, I know about white collar. I know about blue collar. And uh, Tim and I wear our black and yellow black shirts with the black collar. What's new collar? Well, new collar is a term that was coined by Ginny Rometty, who is the CEO of IBM. And when Mr. Trump was elected, she wrote an open letter to him that was published in a lot of papers. And she said, Mr. Trump, we are, I'm paraphrasing here, but we are just thrilled that you're putting emphasis again on manufacturing, but we don't want old style jobs. We need new color jobs. And I thought that just so perfectly embodied the kind of jobs that are um, available today for operators and technicians in manufacturing. Well, that gives a new spin on what the collar is really all about. I thank you for that. <laughs> it does. And, you know, so many of the uh, 
blue-collar jobs have become digital. Um, in the book, there's a quote from Tom Friedman of the New York Times, and he visited a welding company in Minnesota. And at the end of it, he says, who knew? Uh, welding has become a STEM job. It's a job that requires uh, the science, technology, engineering, and math that uh, are the subjects that are that are you know so prevalent now in schools. And it requires tasks that you know we didn't do in the old days when we were doing milling and all of the laser cutting and the CNC machining and the welding, all of those jobs have added a digital dimension. And then on top of that, we have lots of new kinds of technologies, like not really new, but they're more, they're more prevalent now in manufacturing, um, like 3D printing, which has been around for 30 years, but it's now showing up much more on the factory floor. And it's, you know, these are all new kinds of tools that weren't out there before. And so it takes a new skill set to be able to operate those machines. You know, when uh, I heard three, four years ago about welding, as you pointed out, to go for training for welding that a, an individual can earn seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year after mm -hmm. probably two years' worth of training, and then I, mm -hmm. I happened to have been on an airplane flying back from the West Coast, and a, a gentleman was sitting next to me, and he told me the story about him being an underwater welder. And mm -hmm. they make a hundred, they make a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. So mm -hmm. it's it's really it's really quite incredible how uh, you know what used to be blue collar today is becoming so white collar and so uh, mm -hmm. wealthy for their families and uh, taking care of their families into the future. It was, it's re it was really terrific. I couldn't believe it. I almost uh, I almost turned yeah. into my, my press badge and decided to go into <laughs> underwater welding. <laughs> Well, I bet you'd be a great welder. And, of course, there's those wonderful uh, simulation machines that I visited. Um, um, oh, that uh, the electric company in Cleveland, the really, is that Lincoln Electric? Their name's gone out of my head. Mm. But they have these wonderful simulators that um, train you on welding. So even, you know, the big companies are changing how, how they instruct. Um, but what um, IBM is saying that, you know, you really don't even need a two-year uh, degree to do a lot of these jobs. And, you know, when I look at, for example, if I was going to hire a CNC machinist, <clears throat> I mean, I don't need somebody who can do advanced math and calculus. I mean, I really need somebody who can run the CNC machine, who can convert fractions to decimals, who can... Um, you know, read a CAD file. So they need some digital parts to it, but they don't need the, the more advanced engineering skills. And so it, it's kind of interesting because the, the, these these jobs have become more sophisticated. And so I think there's two reasons for those um, increases in pay. One of them is 
that it requires a higher level of training in order to do the digital part of it and be able to deal with the CAD files and, and with the data analytics and that kind of stuff. And the other reason is because they're in such high demand. And so one of the people I interviewed, I interviewed 200 manufacturers for this book. And one of the people I interviewed um, said to me, oh, engineers are a dime a dozen. You know, give me a good machinist. <laughs> and, he, and that's where, the, you know, there's huge need. And there certainly are needs in the engineering uh, field. But the the huge demand that we're seeing is in operators and technicians. And and so because of the demand and because the advanced skills that they need, the, the salaries are really competitive and are at a point where someone, as you say, can support a family. Sarah, I'm just curious about, and this is the first I've heard of, the FAB Foundation. Certainly mm-hmm. wasn't aware that it supported 1,200 FAB labs, which I find fascinating. Can you give me a little idea of what the FAB Foundation is? Well, the um, as the number of fab labs started to grow, um, Neil Gershenfeld and his team at MIT really didn't have the uh, capability to to help support these labs, and so they formed this nonprofit that is run by Sherry Lassiter um, here in in Cambridge, and. Um, what it does is helps the community, and, and it's a, just a beautiful community of people who really work together. Um, as I said, all of the labs are different, but we all have the same tools, and so they coordinate things like um, trainings. There's a training called Fab Academy that Dr. Gershenfeld teaches via video conferencing, and then the Fab Foundation uh, uh, sends it out uh, to uh, you know all of our not all our labs but our, our participating labs, and then uh, people do their projects in their local lab with their guru, and so it's a it's a really wonderful distributed education model. They run a very large international meeting where we all come together. Last year it was in Santiago, Chile. Um, there were quite a lot of labs in South America. This year it's in Toulouse. Um, next year it will be in Egypt. And so they coordinate really the, the collaboration of all of these different um, people in this, in this network. And all of the labs are uh, locally owned. So MIT doesn't own or the Center for Bits and Atoms or Fab Foundation do not own the labs. It's an informal network. You have to apply to be accepted <laughs> And you have to have the five kinds of digital fabrication. So if you just have a 3D printer, that's not going to cut it. You know, in order to make almost anything, you really have to have um, more than one tool. And so often, as you know, in the factory, we're combining tools. And um, it's it's just a wonderful community of people who care about fabrication. Well, it certainly is. Now, your lab's... If you would go into those in a little detail for our listeners, too, I find it fascinating what you're doing in your labs oh thanks um yeah it's a lot of fun um i i wanted to work much more on on workforce development coming from manufacturing and hearing all of my friends in manufacturing 
you know, moaning about the problems of, of finding good people. And that was a little bit harder to do where costs were high in um, in Boston. And I had wanted to move to Santa Fe for 30 years, and I finally thought, you know, this, now's the time. If I don't do it now, I never will. And so I have two labs. One is at the uh, Santa Fe Community College, and the other lab is at the Santa Fe Business Incubator. The incubator one focuses a little bit more on entrepreneurship, um, and uh, we have all the same tools as all the labs, so I could go to Shanghai and make the same things that I make in my lab in Santa Fe. And um, But our emphasis is much more on training. And so uh, we offer uh, digital badges um, through the continuing education department at the community college um, and at the incubator through Fab Lab Hub. And um, do you know what digital badges are? Should I talk about that? Yes, please. Why don't yeah, you please do. Well, digital badges are really cool because, as I was saying earlier, you know, sometimes you need somebody who can just run a machine. You don't necessarily need, you know, an advanced degree or, you know, you don't need a two-year degree even. And with the Department of Labor saying that we're going to be short 2 million workers um, by the year 2020, not, you know, we don't really have two or four years to, to train people on these types of technologies. And so digital badges um, are a platform that was developed by uh, Mozilla, the, um, the open source uh, uh, people who do um, Firefox is their, one of their products, but they're open source and, and they were developed it in conjunction with IBM. And it's a platform where you can document someone's achievement in a particular skill. And so companies use it, like Dell will use it for training service technicians. Autodesk, the really big um, software company, issues digital badges. If you complete certain courses, you get one of these badges. And they're kind of like Boy Scout badges. But the difference is they're not, uh, you know, sewn onto your shirt. They're um, something that you can store online. And the beauty of it, and I really wish we had this when I had employees, is that um, because it's digital, you can have so much more information. So how many times, you know, does does a engineer come in and they hand you their diploma? And, you know, if they're an electrical engineer, it kind of tells me a little bit, but it doesn't tell me exactly what they know how to do. And you really have to dig to get that kind of information. And in the digital badge, so, for example, one course that we run is Design for 3D Printing. And so um, in the when you go to get the badge, there's coursework, and then there is hands-on projects that you do in our lab and as people do that we document it so they could write up um, you know a, a project uh, management case study about it they could include photos they could include video and that starts to tell you what um, people can do in terms of problem solving and that was the number one skill in my in my survey of the 200 companies that companies said they needed. They need problem solving. And so you can look at this and you can see somebody go through that problem solving process, which I think is just phenomenally cool. I think it really opens up um, a whole new way of interviewing people. I was just going to ask <laughs> how many people are involved in, uh, in your uh, labs uh, throughout the country? 
in the in the U.S. labs. Um, you know, they're all yeah. different, and so I I don't really know. Um, some of them are in uh, K through 12 schools, so you'd get a lot more throughput there. Some are at community colleges. So in my labs in Santa Fe, um, we just started last fall um, with a pilot test of this badging system. And we have about, you know, 10 to 20 people who take the class. And then you Mm -hmm. can layer the badge into a master badge. So the design for 3D printing one is the first one in a master badge for 3D printing. And, um, you know, what I'm really finding, too, is because we work in stuff that you see in the movies and in, in science fiction and Star Wars and all of this fun stuff, these kids are so much more excited about it. And as you know, manufacturing has had this, you know, um, negative reputation lately about, you know, parents not wanting kids to go and work in dirty factories. And, um, but when you're talking about building lasers and 3D printers, you know, kids don't care um, about the environment, although the environment, of course, is, is nothing like a steel mill. And uh, it's it's really fun, and and the students at the universities and colleges are so, and and high schools and elementary schools, are just, they all want to play with the 3D printers. <laughs> so it's 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 really um, it's a different time, you know. It's really things have changed. Good. I know, Sarah. Sarah, when we were putting this show together, an interesting uh, question or concept came up. We were always talking about what skills does the new collar worker need and the kind of the flip side of you of that from you was what skills do manufacturers need for mm-hmm. new collar workers to be successful in the digital mm-hmm. factor mm-hmm. so what is mm-hmm. it what does yeah. the manufacturer need sarah well the number one thing they listed and it was like 95 percent of the people i talked to and i talked to companies that ranged in size from startups to Fortune 10 and also the Los Alamos National Lab because that's local to me. And the number one thing they said they needed was problem-solving skills. And when you think about it, you know, if you can solve a problem, you can pretty much go anywhere. If you have those kinds of cognitive thinking skills, the design thinking skills, the ability to look at something and figure out a solution to a problem, And the second thing they said they needed was hands-on experience. And, you know, when when, um, uh, we used to hire engineers at Potomac when I I was there, uh, it was so interesting because it was at that time where there was much more emphasis on computers. And we'd get an electrical engineer, you know, who had never run a mill or a lathe. And um, my partner, uh, Paul Christensen, who founded Potomac originally as an R&D company, um, grew up on a, on a sheep and cattle ranch. And I'm telling you, he could fix anything, you know, no matter what went wrong in the plant. The coffee maker was down, you know, he could fix it. And that skill <laughs> is, you know, for a while there had really been lost. And um, I think with the rise of more fab labs and maker spaces and more emphasis in schools on hands-on learning, we're starting to see a little bit of a return to that. But um, that was the second thing. The third thing that the manufacturers talked about was um, digital skills, particularly CAD design. And I have to say, again, as a manufacturer, you know, we did contract service work as well. We had a job shop. And we'd get parts 
designs from, you know, great companies. I mean, Motorola, IBM were big companies of ours in, in those days. And you'd get these um, these drawings, and, you know, half the time what didn't work was um, either a, um, a flaw in the design or the inability of the, of the G-code to uh, accept the design and that translate the, the CAD file to, to the machine. And, you know, those skills are, I think we should have, and I, I need to call Autodesk and suggest this. I think we should have, you know, CAD-a-thons. I mean, there's hackathons, and we should have CAD-a-thons. And, and there is code, the, a day of coding, and we should have a day of CADing. And I just think CAD is so important, um, as did the people in, in that I interviewed. They also talked about, on the digital side, they talked about predictive analytics, which is an incredibly you know, boring topic, um, I think. But it, what it basically is is collecting the data, you know, from the machines. And one of the areas that um, they talk about a lot is um, the cobots. So you, the robots are doing the boring stuff, but we need humans who can analyze the data that is being collected by the in the robots with sensors. Um, the next thing they said they needed was um, arithmetic even. It wasn't even advanced math, but it was geometry, um, some trig, uh, converting fractions to decimals was a huge one. I heard that in everybody everybody I talked to, and uh, going from metric to um, our, you know, the, the, uh, the American system. And, um, and the other thing that came up in, in my conversations with people was um, operators for 3D printing. And actually what started the study was I was at RAPID, the SME event, uh, two years ago when HP introduced their big um, production 3D printer. And I kept hearing people say, I really want to buy that machine, but I haven't got anybody to run it. And I think that um, 3D printing is not there yet. You know, it's certainly not as reliable as as technologies like lasers and, and CNC machines. And so they... Um, they they really need to have good people. You can't just have the IT guy do it during his lunch hour. You know, it needs to be really thought through who's going to run. So those were the main um, results of the study. Now, I was just going to uh, cut here for a quick break and a joke. Uh, point being that, uh, <laughs> thank goodness, I don't know how to cook and I don't know how to fix things. And I only know how to call the guy. That being said, <laughs> we're going to take a quick, quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Lou Weiss. Some of you know me as Lou Weiss with the yellow jacket, but today I'm president of All Metals and Forge Group. We are proud and pleased to be the sponsors for Manufacturing Talk Radio and for WAM, Women and Manufacturing, since 2013. AMFG is an open-dive forge facility and a producer of seamless rolled rings since 1972. Most of the metal families are available in our inventory for production to help keep down delivery times due to mill deliveries of raw stock. We also specialize in machined, large, and complex forged parts. So give us a look at steelforge.com, our website, or give us a call at 973 973- 
276-5000. Send us your inquiries, your drawings, and specifications. Our quoting turnaround time is usually less than 24 hours to help you get your job from your client. Give us a try. We're almost doing this 50 years of partnering with our clients. We'd like to partner with you as well. Thanks for listening. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we are back at Manufacturing Talk Radio, and we're talking with Sarah Boisvert, who is with the Fab Lab Hub. And, Sarah, it's interesting that you mentioned problem solving. I've heard uh, a quote credited to everyone from Henry Ford and Andrew Carnegie to Charles Schwab, and that is thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably the reason why so few people engage in it. (laughs) <laughs> certainly, certainly critical thinking and problem solving is what mm-hmm. not just manufacturing needs, but what America needs mm-hmm. at this point in time. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. And what was really interesting is, is as I was doing the research, and I really wasn't expecting the answers I got. I was expecting something a little more technical or concrete. And as I was going through this process of talking to the manufacturers about what do you need as they went through the list i i thought that's what we do in fab labs and you know that that's exactly what all the fab labs do it doesn't matter if your emphasis is on um, a higher education fab lab or k-12 through or one that's open to the community or one that's in a museum or they're because they're all different um but the process is the same. We use the same tools to solve problems. And Neil likes to say that the power of digital fabrication is social, not technical. And the most fun stories, as you've read the book, so you know, are are the solving of problems that people have done in their communities using Fab Labs and using these, these incredible tools. But it's the ingenuity. And the tools are only as good as the people who, who use them to solve problems. Because it's humans who innovate, not machines. Well, well, I'll pay my co-host here a compliment. Lou is one of the handful of people I know who is absolutely fabulous on the phone. And he, although he, he uses email a lot, when it comes to a conversation that he really wants to have that he feels is important, he doesn't even turn to email. He picks up the old-fashioned telephone and makes a yeah. phone call. And it's far more effective than uh, what's happening today. And and one of my fears is that the millennial generation has never developed that skill. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. No. That. That's exactly right. And you know, in, in in the fears that people have about robots, I mean, I look at it and I think some human has to design, program, fix them when they're broke, and and also collect the data that the sensors and the robots uh, give us. And uh, although. MIT tells me this is coming. You know, we're not there yet that the uh, animation, automation and robotics is going to be able to do that on their own without people. Well, it's interesting because uh, certainly the one thing that I look at robots being unable to do is the assembly of random thoughts into a mm-hmm. cogent course of action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which humans mm-hmm. do quite well. I mean, they look at things mm-hmm. that seem completely unrelated, have no mm-hmm. bearing to one another whatsoever, and mm-hmm. out of that gray matter formulate a, a solution. And that's where a lot of innovation in manufacturing, medical, pharmaceutical comes from. It's not from the computers or the, the microscopes. It's from somebody's brain that puts random bits of information together. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And also the um, empathy. Although there's a group on our floor at the Media Lab uh, where the Center for Bits and Atoms is located, um, and um, uh, they actually are working on robots that demonstrate empathy. Um, but again, a lot of that is still in the lab. A lot of that is not yet you know, available. And even though artificial intelligence is really coming on fast and I'm actually, while we're doing this interview, I'm, I'm this week at the smart manufacturing uh, SME conference in uh, Boston. Um, And there's all kinds of, you know, wonderful new technologies out there, but I'm, but not all of them are um, uh, available yet, you know, on a widespread basis. I think in, in mainstream manufacturing, and innovation, uh, it, you're exactly right. It's still coming from humans, and I think for a long time uh, we'll be working together with with technology in order to, to innovate. I would agree. Lou, um, I know that you and I have talked to many uh, educational institutions from, uh, you know, the uh, grade school on up through college and university, and mm-hmm. you and I are both uh, – question um, how is education preparing uh, the new collar worker if you will and I know Lou that you even talked to a high school when we went to an event and and tried to have them provide us students and they flat weren't interested in manufacturing you recall that Lou I do and uh, they did not want to uh, send students and we were willing to take uh, about 15 students to manufacturing day and their excuse was we're an academic school we're not into manufacturing so uh, we wound up going a different route but it it really struck me that uh, the educators and and I think that's changing it this was about three years Mm -hmm. ago I think it's really Mm -hmm. changing I think that I think that parents have uh, changed a lot I think they realize that, you know, having your uh, child, adult, mini adult, to go into something that they one enjoy and two can make a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and not have a hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars in debt mm-hmm. is a real plus mm-hmm. for everybody. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, by the, by the way, you, Tim, yeah. I just want to, Tim, I just want to thank you for your comment about the fact that uh, um, I uh, pick up the phone and make phone calls to people, but I still haven't gotten Joe Biden. He's, he's still <laughs> ducking and weaving. Uh, well, after this interview, I'm sure he's going to want to talk to you. <laughs> but you are, so we may you have are to exactly... send him a copy of this. Oh, there we go. Okay. You know, but you're exactly right. And, you know, it's hard for institutions to change. And, um, you know, many people have gotten donations of 3D printers and the teachers didn't know what to do with them. So it's taken education a while to catch up. But I'm seeing in the last year to year and a half an awful lot of schools, you know, jumping on this bandwagon of problem-based learning and also on the um, – the idea of, um, or rather, project-based learning, um, and and getting into this idea of hands-on activities. And there's a wonderful school in Cleveland that is a public school, and it is on the campus of GE Lighting, and it's called MC Squared High School. And they have a fab lab in each grade level and of the high school, and the entire curriculum revolves around the fab lab. So if you're in your history class and you're studying Shakespeare, you're going to make do plays and you need to make sets, and so then you go to the fab lab and you have to use geometry. I call that stealth math. And um, they they have to use these STEM skills that, and, you know, they'll say, oh, no, you know, I don't like math. But, boy, when you want to build something or you want to um, make, you know, some jewelry or do something in the fab lab, you have to use those STEM skills. And it's more about doing things um, that motivate kids to want to be able to use those kinds of those kinds of skills there's also wonderful programs in Chattanooga Tennessee and I don't remember the exact number but I want to say it's like 14 or 15 or 20 uh, fab labs that were funded by Volkswagen and in the public schools and so we're we're starting to see more people are starting to realize you just can't give a teacher a 3d printer and um expect them to know how to incorporate it into their curriculum. And so the FAB Foundation does actually quite a lot of good work with lesson plans that they use for um, uh, for educators and teaching them how to use these tools and how to incorporate this kind of digital fabrication into their, um, their curriculum. So it's changing. It's changing rather rapidly from the perspective mm -hmm. that uh, Tim and I see because We've been doing manufacturing talk radio now for uh, four and a half years, and the the changes that we've seen have been nothing short of radical. Uh, mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. we would talk yeah. to parents, we would talk to kids, and it's it's just completely changed. And I and I think yeah. that's really a great uh, great. Uh, aspect of what's happening the the only problem that I see is not happening in big numbers and I guess that's the mm -hmm. next thing that we're going to see that the numbers are going to start to mm -hmm. get very large yeah that's that's exactly true and like I was saying before I mean institutions are hard to change you know they're they have 
um, there's a lot of fear. Actually, in the book, I, at the end, I you know I talk about um, how we all need to change and we need to we need to step up to the plate as manufacturers and uh, foster these kinds of changes in our local communities. And people are afraid of change. You know, change is uncomfortable, and so um, it's not surprising that it's taking a while. But the other side of it that I see is that a lot of these institutions, um, once they see something working somewhere, um, I had helped um, some of the fab labs, and now that my program in Santa Fe is doing well, you know, they all want to have digital badges, and it's like, you know, my program works, so it must work for them, and so... um, what we're going to do is a, a group of the Fab Labs, and I are, have started a, a sort of a little local network for the Americas, so for Canada, Mexico, and the United States. Um, and what we will do is put the coursework for the digital badges online, so there'll be a module in the in like the the academic side of it. Um, so, for example, laser cutting or 3D printing, but the same is what we teach on the local level. And then you go to your local fab lab, and since we have, you know, 200 of them, you should be able to find one not too far away. And you go to your local fab lab to do your project. And so, um, you know, I've seen online courses, and I thought, well, to teach CNC machining, I mean, I I need hands-on. I need somebody to run the machine, (laughs) And um, so this is a beautiful solution, and we're going to probably um, roll that out in the fall. And it's our fab lab in Montreal, actually, that um, is doing the programming for us for the online badges who um, uh, have experience there. So it's yeah, it's, it's once once one group is successful, I think you start to see more and more. Um, educational institutions, you know, wanting to, to emulate that success. And Sarah, I also want you to share with us how people can get more information about all these wonderful labs. I wouldn't have dreamed that there are 1,200 labs around there and <laughs> around the world and where they can go to get this advanced training that, you know, we're in a real transition. People like to call it industry 4.0. I hope you come mm-hmm. up with a jazzier name for it than that mm-hmm. uh, b- mm-hmm. because it's really more digital than industrial. Um, where can they go get more information on everything that you're doing, which is terrific? Um, well, I call it smart manufacturing. Sometimes, I, and in the book, I call it both um, Industry 4.0 and smart manufacturing. But um, you can find more information on our website, which is Fab Lab Hub. H-U-B dot org. Um, and you can find the book on Amazon, as you mentioned. Um, it's published by Photonics Media Press, and you can find it on the photonics.com website as well. Um, but it's been um, really a, a gratifying experience. Um, Jeff Krauss, uh, the, the CEO of the Society of Manufacturing Engineers, caught me at Rapid, where I was giving a talk last week, and um, came up and said, Sarah, Sarah, um, Janine, the the VP of SME who runs Tooling U, gave me your book, and it's just so right on. And I think that to have that kind of feedback from the manufacturing community has been really gratifying. And I and I and what I'm really hoping is that it makes an impact on what 
both manufacturers do and educators and parents do in order to foster training this new color workforce? Well, I think it's terrific. Uh, Lou, this has been a fascinating discussion with Sarah. I, I, as they say, I'm almost feeling stupid because I didn't know what the Fab Foundation was or Fab Lab Hub, which now I go, have to go check out because this kind of innovation <laughs> is, is fabulous. I think you need to read the book, which I did, and I found it uh, really quite fascinating. It took me a couple of weeks, Sarah. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but I've, I've been reading four or five other books uh, at the same time, so uh, I do appreciate um, the, the book that you sent me. Unfortunately, you didn't um, uh, sign it, which I'm going to probably have to send it back to you signing it. And uh, <laughs> I, we do appreciate you being on our show and telling us all about New Collar. Well, it was my pleasure. Yep. Yes, and I want to thank... Uh, Sarah Boisvert, who is the founder of Fab Lab Hub. Please check out their website. And if you need more information or want to listen to this episode again, come back to mfgtalkradio.com where we have a complete library of all the shows that we have done. And we also have a complete library that is now building on women in manufacturing. That's womenandmfg.com. That's their website. But these are interviews of accomplished, by accomplished women of accomplished women fascinating information for people looking at what's happening, particularly in manufacturing and women in manufacturing. So we encourage you to go to that website and we appreciate you listening to manufacturing talk radio each and every time you do. Thanks again for listening to us today and our conversation with Sarah Bover of Fab Lab Hub. Thanks everyone again. Thanks for joining us on manufacturing talk radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.